Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Stop the fucking dying. That is the message. That is no like a, the most blunt, in-your-face truth that I've ever known. Like, well, Buddy Arnold used to say, you know, he hated birthdays. I don't know if for our listeners, Buddy Arnold was like my mentor. He was like 80 when I met him. He's like 89 when he died. He um, he used to always say, people say happy birthday. And he'd say, I fucking hate birthdays. And then he'd say, okay. but, it hate, but it beats the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely true. But it does. Each birthday reminds you how much closer you are to oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> but but the whole goal of life is to not die. That's the whole goal. And I saw a cool thing, Ricky Gervais. I know it's very controversial. Uh, I his stand up. Like he has like two things about about LGBTQ, and he said them. I like, pretty much he said them to get the attention to get that he has a special out. So, but he said something so funny on this show about death, and he's an atheist, and. Blah, blah blah, and all the friends, his all, all his friends, the questions they ask him, yeah. and and he, <laughs> I, know he, he I like he, him. Yeah, I've been I've been getting those questions since I was I don't know seventeen. So, so, but he said something interesting. Like, listen, nobody wants to die. Even Christians who think they're going to go to heaven right away and meet Jesus don't want to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody want to die. Yep. <laughs> Nobody, there's not a there's not a big line of here's the death line like here okay nobody's really happy about the mortality of uh, of existence did you did you happen to catch the norm mcdonald thing that he recorded the night before he died no i saw i saw so people keep sending me norm mcdonald stuff all the time well he's, oh, he's just one of the he has the driest sense of humor and one of the better you know observational comics of our time and he knew he was he he might possibly die going into the procedure and he said he didn't want to leave anything on the table so to speak so he yes. did it like this where he just set up a little thing and did it dry with no audience and whatever and there's a lot of talk about death and him kind of being comfortable with it and it's just kind of cool uh because there's been a couple people past we had a a lady that Bug really likes passed this week, and we had to have the talk about no, we're, we're you know we're not going to see her again, sort of thing. And it's it's an important discussion to have, and it's the biggest deal we've got. It seems to be the thing. The two questions are: what happens when we die, whether it's nothing or something, and everybody that's passed that line knows now, whether they're conscious to know it or. Or whether there's no consciousness, they and they know there's nothing, and, and so I, that's too big. That's above my pay grade. I just want to know how you get floor staff and house techs to not quit. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that we can that we can get into the recovery industry with with addiction death at an all time high. The recovery industry is really going through some tumult. We're going through some stuff at Allo. Compensation is not the same. I mean you're almost a fool to have a rehab center at this point. And, and I don't know how that can be, how the insurance companies can just say, Oh, we're going to pay you like uh, $700 less uh, per client 
per yeah. day do uh, when, I, just, when I see that it shocking. goes from 18 18 percent at detox to 16 percent at RTC to 12 percent at PHP they're paying 12 percent of what's being asked you know I know I know and 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 the people and go, the people at, the people at, the people at home don't know what's going on I can just tell you that 33 cents out of every dollar spent on healthcare in America which is the most money in the entire universe spent on healthcare and we have some of the most unhealthy people on earth so it's not really healthcare it's like disease you know disease dealing with disease it's not healthcare it's not caring for your health it's like right. you know trying to keep you from all the it's, things that you're doing that are killing you from killing you that's what the american healthcare system is right whether symptom it's management yeah, yeah it's symptom, symptom management there you go <laughs> and and so so addiction treatment's like really in in a weird spot right now like you know we're we're going through it and i know a lot lots of different friends of mine uh, somebody I respect who's been around since the 80s called me and asked me if I wanted to take over his rehab. And I was like, kind of trying to get out of the rehab world. But he's such a good guy. I've been thinking about it. I, I, you know, um, and anyways, the, so, but what I want to say is this show today is dedicated to a lovely couple I met in the Avengers district of, of, of California Adventureland today. Me and Sydney went there. <laughs> and they were so cool and they were so full of life. And it was just, I don't know. Why aren't there more good people in the world? <laughs> why, 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 why? You, just, you just tell, like, I only talked to them for like two minutes, but they're just so nice and friendly and open and funny and laughing. And like, you just don't meet people like that. I've been around people now for two days. I've been at Disneyland and California Adventureland. They just always have frowns on their faces and they're yelling at their kids. And, and the happiest place uh, on uh, earth. Yeah, yeah. It's miserable there. Like, look oh. around, Chuck. So, <laughs> so here's what happened. So, so I, I, you know, I love Disneyland and I, I love going with my kids and bringing them there and watching, you know, they just, Sydney is just like, yesterday she said, this is the greatest day ever. Then today, driving back, this evening, driving back, she says, this was not as good as yesterday, but it's the second greatest day ever. <laughs> you just need to go to Disneyland every day. No, I'll tell, it out. <laughs> no I'll, tell, I'll tell you why. Because um, we, they have annual passes now again. Did you know this? I didn't know this until like two weeks ago. No, no. I thought it was only yeah. three day passes for Southern no. California. That yes, were I know. I thought that too. And I, there's a bug flying around and I, and I bought the three day pass and then Elvis really doesn't, he particularly doesn't like Disneyland. He just, he does not like it. Wow, so, okay. so, so because it's like, he's in that tweener age, like he likes it's, the press, depressing. <laughs> yeah. Plus he's got to go around with like a one-year-old and a five-year-old. It's, I got to admit, it's not that fun. And his dad. And he's, and his, <laughs> he's not, but listen to this. He's not old enough to go on his own yet. Okay. Like what, at what age? I need some consensus out there. I remember my mom dropping me off at Disneyland when I was, wait for it. I wasn't in high school. So I was not 14. I must have been 13. And my mom dropped me and two friends off at Disneyland. And we were there all day by ourselves. 
I'm right. sure that's think, illegal. That's illegal now. You couldn't I don't do know, that now, right? I don't know if they'd let you, but that's about right. Like seventh, eighth grade, because we'd go and mom and dad's knew because by that time it was a gated park where you went in and you were in until you left. Because like when we started going there when I was little, you, you walked all around the thing for free and you just used tickets for the rides. But as soon as it was gated and stuff, they'd drop us off and they'd know that they believed that we were, were safe. How old were you? I'm, I'm thinking seventh grade. So like I would have graduated at 17. So that'd be 13, 12. So that's not, but, but back then there wasn't like cosplay and, and 75% of the people there were adults with no children, right? It was just all children were at Disney. No. And we didn't worry about that stuff as much. We also went to the beach I don't on our bicycle about, six miles down. The well, way. I don't want the cosplay. Co cause people to think I'm frowning on them. I, I find it erotic and fascinating. Some of these uh, people dressed <laughs> in the, like, you can tell the ones I, I hate to say it. Like it, it's a thing. Like it's obvious that these people are it's like not going away. sexually aroused by dressing yeah. up like a princess and making out with their boyfriend, like coming up this, this walkway where me and Sydney yesterday were in this walkway where it, it, like it's in over by Pirates of the Caribbean and people don't really know about it. So we're in this walkway and there was a couple there, not the most attractive couple also I, either, but, but they were just fully engaged in tongue kissing and feeling, and they were dressed as uh, well. He wasn't really, he had ears on, but the girl was dressed <laughs> as, but, 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 but there's so many adults there. Like it's, it's a, it's a real thing. Like there, that was not back in the day. There was not adults going to Disneyland by themselves having sex in the bushes. No, there was not. Parents and kids went as a family, and then kids went because parents didn't want to go again. You know, right. kids. We went a lot. I know we went there for eighth grade graduation without any. You know, so I mean, you're, yeah, that was a thing. That was so. Anyways, I, 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 so. So Elvis doesn't like it. So we bought these, those three passes you're saying, and you know, they only last for however long. And so uh, May 28th was the last day we could use them. And me, Sid and Chrissy all had not used one day and Elvis hadn't used two of the three days. And so we mm -hmm. went on the 27th and I lost my mind. Um, you know, like they, Sydney was sick. And then we, I just said, we need to extend this. How do we do? What do we do? And they didn't tell me. And so I called to complain the next day on the 28th, the day that the tickets could last be used or we were going to lose like, you know, however much like, uh, like, so I think it breaks down to like $80 a day. Isn't it like, yeah, 80, $83 a day. So a hundred 40 for Elvis, 100, 166 for Elvis, and 88, 240. We were going to lose $420 because of some fine print on the fucking, this idiocracy, the way Disneyland's been doing things. <laughs> so I called to complain on the 28th. I want either, I want, uh, you know, them to extend it and let us have 30 more days to use these or whatever. And the girl says, she was so helpful. If you can wait the hour on the phone to talk to a Disney employee in person, it's worth it. Because she was so helpful. She goes, I don't know why at the park they didn't tell you. You can just use this as credit for an annual pass. And I said, I, I thought there wasn't annual passes. And she said, yeah, there's annual passes. So I picked the second tier annual pass. There's four of them. 
because here's the thing it's blocked out in july and august like who mm -hmm. wants to go to disneyland july august it's 115 degrees anyway yeah so i so it, we ended up getting all of us pass but you, here's the thing they don't let you do the payment plan if you do that so i had to take a big hit like 1200 bucks for all of us but it was worth it so now we have may till may 28th of next year we have annual passes and we're only blacked out in july and most of august right right so so but the cutoff date for going to disneyland on our enchanted passes it it's friday's the first day you can't go starting starting in being you know the june whatever the, the 10th you can't go for the rest of june you can't go for july and you can't go for the first two weeks of august so i've been trying to get my disneyland value do you okay. understand yeah 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 but christy doesn't want to go elvis doesn't want to go and i ain't taking it i just by myself so me and sid have gone back to back days we went yesterday we went today yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was and it was, it was fun. Like I'd never been to that Avengers place day. Anyways, we met this really nice couple. I don't know. Just when you meet people, you know that they're like you and they're nice and they're funny and they're cool and they're not red blue team. I can't imagine these people would be red blue team. It gave me hope because there's not a lot of hope when you're gazing around Disneyland sometimes, Chuck. There's <laughs> not a lot of hope. Better than Walmart at midnight. <laughs> I don't know. I like meth heads. I like meth heads. And um and since getting older, she's starting to realize um that uh she definitely realizes the adults with no kids at Disneyland. It bothers her now. She's focused on it. She picked it up from me and Chrissy. It's really not my thing, it's really Chrissy's thing. She fucking hates it. That there's adults like standing in front of children. It just drives my wife nuts. That they're right. they're taking places in line that yeah. could be the kids. Yeah. Well, I don't mind. I don't mind them going and having fun. I'm not against people going and having fun, but not being conscious that it's a children's place, really. Right. right? Everybody should be able to go there. Walt Disney was about everybody and the imagination and all that, and enjoying it and blah blah. I'm all for that. But when you stand in front of a five year old child so that you can film Doctor Strange. It's kind of weird. It's kind of yeah. like that you're not aware of yourself enough to know. <laughs> like, I'm pushing, a, I'm pushing a five year old out of the way so I can get a better. And they all on their phones. There's this Doctor Strange thing, which uh, I don't know if anybody cares, but it, the movie came out and Elvis it's was obsessed with it. Right? Elvis, Elvis and Elijah, my other son, my oldest son, went together. Then Elvis went with his mom. Then Elvis went with his friend. Elvis has seen that movie three times in the last two weeks. Kind of crazy. So, so anyways, we went to try to film some Doctor Strange. There's a play or whatever, like a, he comes out and he doesn't sign autographs or take pictures. He does this whole thing where he, he makes the universe die or live or something. I don't know. And here's the funny thing. So we're in Avengers <laughs> land. I, I literally know nothing about the Avengers. I've never seen one Avengers movie. I've, I'm not, I've seen Iron huh. Man for like 20 minutes on television. So I, but I know who the people are. I mean, I know who Thor is. He was around before this comic book shit. I know who, I mean, through, before this movies of comic books, I know who Thor is. I, I, I don't really know who Black Widow is, but I know it's Scarlett Johansson, isn't it? I think. That was one of the um, things, and this is just a quick caveat. They, on 
Disney, they have like the whole Marvel cinematic universe and they do it in chronological order. So you start at the beginning and I had never seen one until freaking COVID and I started watching them and they weren't bad. You know, you suspend this. I'm not saying they're bad. They're just, I, they're not bad. I'm just a grown adult. That's all. I, yeah. I, you know, like some people just stay in, in, in ex, ex, it are, it's, it's aesthetically and artistically like, I don't expect the people that watch Marvel movies to like Ingmar Bergman or Woody Allen or the movies I like. I don't expect <laughs> right, them right. to. Right. I don't know why they expect me to like those movies. Like, why can't you just say, <laughs> okay, those are your movies and right. these are mine. But I really felt a little embarrassed because this girl came over. We were standing by ourselves and this girl kind of came over and she looked really cool. She had a green face. And she was dressed up in all the leather and stuff. So I like that and look punk rock. And, and, and I said, you know, let's take a picture with her. Send her, get her autograph or whatever. And she goes, who is it? And I was like, I don't know. But if you get her, <laughs> but then I said, it's me get, so we can spot. Yeah. Like, yeah. It might be, and he goes, she said, is it Hulk's sister? And I don't, I said, I don't think Hulk has a sister. So I said, if you get her autograph, we can Google it. So there she gets go. her autograph. It's Gamora. Right? I don't do you know who Gamora is, Chuck? Isn't it Sodom and Gamora? It's a girl named Gamora. So huh. so Gamora is from uh uh the galaxy, whatever it's called. Oh uh, Guardians, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Of the galaxy. There yeah. we go. And Those are funny by, at least. Played in the movies by Zoe Saldana, by the way. I you know, I can't imagine. Yeah. That's like a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. But <laughs> but I've never seen it. And then, so we were reading the Google thing, like, it's pretty fascinating, like, uh, how obsessive, you know, the Wikipedia, I mean, because Wikipedia is written by fans, like, they're obsessive, mm. like, every single thing Gamora's been in, in every comic book, in every movie, and she was the sister of this, and she's that, and it was, she was voted the, the worst, the, the scariest woman in the universe, and and in some movie, and I was like, "Wow, we met the scariest woman in the universe." You said scariest; Holy it should shit. have been hottest. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> no. But and so then we just had a lot of fun and and uh, and headed home. But but we're trying to get our money through. In real life, I do have a job, and I've been doing it, <laughs> and something. <laughs> I have. I do it from like seven. <laughs> I work from like seven in the morning till like nine thirty, <laughs> and then I a work. full day. I can see why you you turn in. At you that can point. cram a lot in, right? <laughs> and then and then the guy that I work with, uh, I said I got to go right now, and he goes he goes well we really got to get an answer about this or something like or whatever, and I was like well I'll call you back. And he goes, well, where are you right now? And I was like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gamora, guy, what do you think is, we should do? <laughs> this is a guy that's in the office right now. Right. and think it's just too much, too bad of traffic for me to go there. Or whatever. No, no, he could be at home too. I don't know. Cause I don't go to the office. So anyways, we, me and Anthony are trying to do this, this thing about our growing up in the early eighties and about LA. And so we hired a writer to kind of sketch out the world that we were describing to her. And we told her, go talk to these people and whatever. And you know what name comes up with everyone that they went and interviewed? A man named Mike Mark. Everyone Ooh. has an opinion about Mike Mark. Mike, did you know, 
this this comes uh, because kind of like a historical article about early 80s los angeles like post x post germs that era from like 1980 to 1985 mike mart was a significant person in that universe i don't know he if was you know. everywhere I, huh? I don't know if he's going to be an avengers character but he he's in <laughs> a lot of the 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 statement you know the interview people and whatever one says that mike mart invented hair bands how about no, that no 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 that's no, 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 no we're not look. backing down from this hey they said Apparently, it. it's gonna be on wikipedia Apparently, Mike Mart teased up his hair like in 1981. Is this true, Mike Mart? Tex teased her hair up like we nobody, all know that, but that's like that's nobody's a woman. ever like nobody's but ever you. seen. She teased her hair up, and it was kind of you remember how like um, like Johnny Thunder's late dolls. Yeah, let me ask you a question. If Johnny Thunders did it in 1978, how the and the dolls did it, how the fuck could I have invented it? I well, don't know, you, but I want to give you, you credit, Mark. <laughs> well, but no, no, <laughs> Bob does. That's no, great. it's specifically to Los Angeles. Johnny Thunder's no. not in Los Angeles. Okay, well, Red Cross was way before me teasing their hair up. Were they teasing their hair up? Sounds like we got to talk to Mike Mart for the film. We've got to get his opinion. It was an anti-statement against like skinhead rock, really specifically, because there was a riot that took place at the whiskey. And a lot of like jocks, skinheads. It was a black flag thing. It was, you know, and it kind of, it kind of made all the Hollywood punks kind of sickened, you know, because all these out of towners came and had a big riot, and it kind of was getting taken over by this skinhead sort of mentality. And so a lot of the punks started, you know, just going, "Fuck, man, what are we gonna do?" You know, so they started looking different. We did, yeah. So did Rob Graves. Right, but he's not getting the credit for it. I just wonder. So I'm did, wondering, um, you know, so did Jeffrey Lee Pierce. Jeffrey Lee Pierce has albums. Jeffrey, Jeffrey definitely teased up his hair. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. A, yeah, but was, nobody took Jeffrey. I don't okay, know. Bob, this is what happened after Guns and Roses and all these other, sh these, you know, I'm talking like Poison and all this crap came around. Okay. Everybody was like, oh my God. And then the hair went flat, let me tell you. <laughs> okay, but flat. So as soon as. As soon as Guns and like Axl Rose kind of copped your hairstyle is what is said. I, I don't think so. I think he copped the New York Dolls. Everybody. I don't think he knew. I don't think he knew who the New York Dolls was. You well, know, um, he, he did <laughs> you know there's a picture of Tex with Jeffrey and her hair is definitely way bigger than his. Hers is bigger than everybody else's in the bands, but she's a girl. Mike's is bigger than what Mike would normally have. But there's another fellow in the band who's got it a little bit bigger. Rock vodka? Rock vodka? Is that rock? rock? Smog, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, it, was well, something, it was something that we did. Something in the to do, and, Listen, and it went against the grain, which is perfect. It was something to do in the early 80s. By 1986 and 7, it was like really not hip at all. But uh, Yeah, but, but, you, but, you, but you did it, and... And there's just a lot of cool things that it just I'm made me ashamed of it. It, you know, it just reminded me of of what an impact Mike had on people, right? And he doesn't he doesn't think of himself. You don't think of yourself in that way. I mean, you were the best songwriter I ever met in uh, LA. I'm not and say and that that's true. I'm not going to say that that's true because but, you, but had, you have to be able to you know accept what? the Listen, compliment. Bob. And all you <laughs> here's what I was told by a therapist. 
When somebody compliments you, say thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bob. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. But you know <laughs> what? Let me tell you something. My opinion, my opinion is that that your friend Steve Wynn was a much better songwriter than I was. Um, there were Camper Van Beethoven. There was, you know, there was all these bands that were the LA bands that were much better songwriters than, than me, but I was a pretty darn good songwriter. Sure. And I still write but, some good stuff, but I'll tell you but, life's so cool. Life's so cool. Album cover. Looks yeah, like it's an album cover has got to be the thing that set the trend for every band that came after that. So that may be what they're talking about because I've seen that with, uh, uh, Italian sports cars saw that with Guns N' Roses. You got it. You got the pink Cadillac in there, and everybody hanging out. You know, being and, and cool. that was kind of that was kind of you know it was kind of stupid, I think. But you know, whatever. We just went along with it. How uh, that's been imitated it. many, many, many times over. Yeah, I, I you know whatever. I would have rather have just been posing in an alley. But well. so uh, anyway, so there's a lot of Mike Martin. This thing is bringing me back now. Another character that is coming up. I appreciate it, Bob. Thank you very much. Well, well <laughs> there you well, go. Okay, that's that's all you need. That was very so, gracious. So Mike was the coolest, and he was a great songwriter. I was going to say in the Steve Wynn, uh, 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 David Lowry thing, I was around Steve a lot in that era, and he really taught me how to write songs and what what you know. He's just a great songwriter. Turned me on to so many great bands like. Little feet and, and right just Neil Young tonight's tonight and those guys but, in green on red, Bob. Those guys in yeah, green on red, Dan, Danny, Dan, Dan Stewart. So, but they couldn't. Here's the thing about them: they couldn't take an acoustic acoustic guitar and just start playing songs they wrote in the last few weeks and mesmerize people in a in a living room of drunken junkies. You could. And you know, the only other person I've seen do that, Ryan Adams could do that. Like, Ryan Adams could shut up Shane McGowan and make Shane McGowan shut up and listen to his song, just playing acoustic guitar and singing. And Mike had that ability. I'm not saying, yeah, not many people wrote, wrote John Coltrane on the stereo. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's one of the greatest songs ever to come out of LA, a Steve Wynn song. Dream Syndicate song, if you haven't heard it. I got John Coltrane on the stereo, baby, make it feel all right. And it goes on, and it goes on for 20 minutes, Chuck. Oh, and that's wow. all it, and that's all it really says. I got John Coltrane on the stereo, baby, make it feel all right. And then it says, I got some, some kind of wine or champagne on ice, baby, make it feel all right. They were the Velvet Underground, the Dream Syndicate, the original incarnation of Dream Syndicate. Amazing band. But so, so the, the, but the person that's been coming, that came up, and I also, the office I'm talking about that I, I didn't go to today or yesterday, is, <laughs> is, is right near where this guy lived, and that is Durf Scratch, the great bass player of Fear. Yeah, he he lived behind Gil Turner's liquor store on Sunset Boulevard, just past the Roxy, and and he taught me how to play acoustic guitar. We were we were I was shooting meth, he was snorting it, and we stayed up for like three days. And he taught me D and C and G, and he said that's all you really need to write a song. And I said, "There's no other ones." He goes, "No other ones that matter." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, okay. No okay. other ones. That, 
So like Thelonious Monster was two different things. There were songs that the band wrote, like like uh, I gotta say, like seventy five percent of the ones that the band wrote together, or the band, you know, like a guitar player would have an idea, Mike would have an idea, Chris Hansen have an idea, Rob Graves have an idea, and then we'd jam it out, and then I'd put lyrics to it. That was seventy five percent of the songs. But a quarter of the songs I just wrote by myself. I guarantee you, Chuck, if you listen to those, you know. 15 songs they are all g to c to d i promise you that <laughs> i promise you that's all you need man that's all you need and, and derp scratch taught me that so some of the great events at derp scratch's house um i go there because i used to score meth from him right i, I think I, I think he's passed away so we can did talk you, Bob, did you go to his bachelor party when they had the big heavy heavy stripper girls <laughs> i don't know i probably all sitting on derp and squashing him uh, and stuff oh god and leaving was all laughing it was funny man <laughs> but the thing that you didn't know which came up with derp was an amazing musician and he was a, originally a saxophone player like um Flea is originally a trumpet player. And like those guys, Philo, those guys are spit. Those guys are great musicians, Fear. Like they were, they were really great musicians. So, and I'll say it, so is Black Flag. Those guys are great musicians. This idea that, oh, punk rock was people who couldn't play their instruments. There was some that couldn't play their instruments, like Thelonious Monster and the Germs. But there were others like Fear and Black Flag and and Minutemen who could fucking play. Are you yeah. gonna say? You know what I mean? Are you gonna try to say that Mike Watt can't play bass, dude? I saw him in 1981. There, there was no one that could play bass like him. It was like phenomenal what he could do. And the people that were inspired by him, like the guy from that Primus band, they're still Les not. Claypool. They're still not as good as what watt was because watt is concise watt is i don't know there's he does it and he's not drawing attention to himself he's just fucking doing it that's how he plays so there was all these great musicians too not only the ones who couldn't play right or the go-go's couldn't right. play or the <laughs> no, you know no. and, it, and it's like saying that saying that spit sticks at derp scratch can't fucking play is ridiculous they yeah, could I, fucking play I was talking to a guy who who plays bass because I didn't want to play bass in the band I'm putting together right now, but it looks like I'm going to. And I go, so, dude, are you any good? Because I hadn't seen him play anywhere and I don't recordings don't tell you anything these days. And he goes, good enough for punk rock. And I was just like, nope. No, that's not no, no. good enough. No, because I don't want to look like a dick. You know, people cannot like the songs or people cannot like the words or people cannot like it. But for them to say. They're shit musicians. It's something I don't want to have happen. Right. So, so Durf, so Durf comes up and, and Durf was like one of the key people. What, what, don't you think, Mike, when you're talking about 1981 LA, like Durf Scratch was at the center of it. He was John Belushi's buddy. That's how John Belushi got in the punk rock scene. It's through Durf. Yeah, Durf was they, those guys were from the valley or something, right? Or like out by Covina or what? I think know? yeah, Lancaster. I think Durf was from. Yeah, but but anyways, it's it's just like all these names coming up: Pleasant and Iris, and um, yeah, it, there's an interesting story Iris tells where 
her apparently the first time she ever bartended at the Cafe de Gran was at the show I used to book the Sunday Club. So Chuck, you've heard this before, and mm -hmm. people at home have heard it. So I couldn't really get a foot in the door with, you know, the cafe or Brendan mulling out lingerie. I could DJ, but I wanted to do more. I wanted to be more important or I wanted, I don't know. I, so there was, I saw this opening where if, it, because they did, they did a black flag show in somewhere. I forget, like in the South Bay somewhere. And in order to reassure the police or the public or whatever, Black Flag said, well, we'll play during the daytime, right? Okay, because violence I, never happens in the daytime. <laughs> I, th I think it was good enough for the Hawthorne Police Department or something, yes. right? So, so Black Flag played, and I went to it. It was when Des was the singer. Yeah. And, good times. And, and it was cool because, and it was outside, so the punkers, like, they can't really beat each other up. It's kind of hot. It's kind of outside. It's all bright. Like a lot of a lot of the punkers who just sit in their leather jackets on the lawn. Like it wasn't like indoors at eleven o'clock at night, right? Mm -hmm. And so I saw that, and then I kept thinking, like I could do a Sunday afternoon thing and do the bands who are banned everywhere and can't play anywhere. Like even at this point, like Red Cross was banned. Like in 1983, Red Cross couldn't play anywhere. I don't know what they had done, but they they weren't allowed to play. It, it was the fan base, Bob. It was that it was that kind of like um, what was the people that were getting into that to punk rock were getting into it for violence, just right? Like just like what happened in the 60s when the bikers and things got violent in the Charles Manson, Charles yeah, Manson. It's the same thing that people came in, they saw this thing, they attached themselves to it. They shaved their heads and then they would go home and they would go to their football games and they would drive their truck. Right. And that, that was a big thing, at least even a few years later, like 81, 82, when I'm in high school, when it was one of those things where those they're, they're a fucking jock band, you know, because other bands, there'd be bands that were playing like, uh, um, what was the job? Uh, uniform choice, you know, yeah. because they attracted all the skin. All these guys would shave their heads for Hell Week to do football, and they were all big, and they were they were had violent tendencies anyhow. And so they they'd show up, and they don't even know what the music is, but they know it's this place where they can go stomp people. And they would go and beat up punks, right? Well, they'd show up Henry. and call you a fag for wearing an earring. But you know, Henry and, Rollins talks about going to DC shows just to go look for somebody like that to fight. So it wasn't like this <laughs> one-way street of the innocent punkers. You know oh, what no, I mean? I, I was they all had hearts of gold. I, I, was, I was around punk rockers. They were looking for trouble, too. So yeah, anyways. Bob, Bob, you have to admit, though, that bands like the Germs, the Screamers, they were all art bands. They were Yeah, like, that, this, were, I'm not talking were, about that era. I'm talking about. 80 forward right okay so 80 forward has this distinct punk rock thing it's like those guys from the west side that started their own label what were they called um wasted youth and they're all those punk bands but then there were the punk bands i like like black flag and red cross and circle jerks and and black flag or or, or uh minutemen and a lot of them couldn't get gigs. So I thought, I, if I do a Sunday afternoon, if I convince Michael Brennan at the, at the lingerie to do Sunday shows, um, that could get my foot in the door and I could become like a person who could go around saying, yeah, I booked the Sunday club. So I had this thing called the Sunday club and it worked great. And um, so For about three shows. 
Well, yeah, then I forget <laughs> what de- uh, Circle Jerks played, and it, it was trouble. There's trouble with Circle Jerks, Chuck. Don't book, yeah. don't book the Circle Jerks. Yeah, no. I, uh, no there's, there's, I, th- I there's, thought you were the trouble. I thought you took money or something like that. Well, when there's a riot, some, you got to oh, get the money. Yeah. When there's a riot, you got to get the money out of there, Chuck. You don't want the rioters to get their hands on that money. Of course. The okay. With the so, 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 but anyways, Iris says the first time she ever, she got hired and her first job she worked was as a bartender at the, um, at the Sunday club. Right. And, and she says one of the first times, one of the first people she met there was this guy walks up to the bar and he asks for a bourbon and Coke. And so she goes and gets it and brings it to him. And he, he takes out a roll of stamps. <laughs> and, he, and he counts out and he counts out the five bucks or four fifty for the drink of stamps and he just tears it off and he gives it to her. I like it. I like the that thinking. was top Jimmy, my friend. And I remember he, <laughs> what, broke, he steal the stamps. He broke into well they so at the Hollywood, the famous Hollywood post office that's on Gower, I was the, the the zero one used to be right up the street. And they never locked the door because you could go in and and check, check your PO box, yeah. PO box, and you could. Yeah. So it was open, and he just went in there with a crowbar, and he broke open all the stamp machines and took all the stamps, like like hundreds of rolls of stamps. <laughs> it's actually really smart. It's not very traceable. There weren't cameras everywhere yeah. back then, and he was <laughs> buying. And he's buying drinks with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is an era that is long gone, my friend. That oh, era does not exist anymore. Legal tender. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. It backed is. by the U.S. government. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Only top Jimmy, man. Only top Jimmy. That's so funny. It's so funny. And I remember him going around, like, trying to sell stamps to people. He was trying to sell rolls of stamps, like, for a discounted price. Yeah, ten bucks worth of stamps for five bucks, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got some hot stamps here, dude. <laughs> and uh, and he had like a a little like gym bag, like you know, like a Puma gym bag or something that you put your socks and shoes on when you used to go to the gym, like a gym bag full yeah. of stamps, full of stamps. <laughs> And he was so lucky out. he didn't get, get didn't get pulled over walking down the street with that. Said, Sir, <laughs> I mean that's a federal offense. Is, I'm sure it is. It I'm is sure it's a, a federal, federal post office. Yeah. But, what are you in yeah. for? Stamps. So if you wonder, <laughs> if you wonder why they locked the Hollywood post office at night and you have to have your your uh, key to get into your PO box, it's because of Top Jimmy. Oh, that son of a bitch. So, <laughs> so it's just reliving this era from 80 to 85. Now, uh, you know, they, they talk a little bit about, about, I don't know, about how Chili Peppers and Thelonious Monsters start. And everyone has really challenged memories of this. Because to <laughs> me, it's not the same no. as yours. <laughs> Well, no, mine is factual and ac- actually quantifiable because uh-huh. you can look at a date of an, that an album came out, okay. right? So I went from being the Red Hot Chili Peppers manager 
to being their road manager, to being their roadie, to not being anything in a matter of like eight months. Right. And that's the way to work down the ladder, Bob. (laughs) Like, can you see that manager? So look at that. Is that going, is that going in the right direction? No, that's a downward trajectory. You were, you had it all backwards. I somehow Anthony convinced me that I'm being freed up to be in my own band as the, you know, like, well, you're not really a manager and you know, you'd have to learn a lot. So you just be the road manager. And I said, okay, what's a road manager do? And he goes, I don't know. Talk to a road manager and find out. (laughs) So a road manager. So I talked to this guy, Kit, that worked for X. Remember Kit? Yeah, he's dead. Oh, you're kidding. Is he? Oh, he died. Uh, He was one of the first persons I ever uh, knew that died of AIDS. Oh my God. So Kit tells me, yeah, you, um, you're in charge of the equipment. And you gotta and you gotta drive the van and you gotta make sure the equipment doesn't get stolen. I remember him telling me that. So we were going on the road starting in Detroit, and he said, Yeah, I just sleep in the van so that the equipment doesn't get stolen. He also told me if you can park the trailer right up against a wall, then they can't open the doors to get it out. Yeah, back, right? back so, it up against the wall. So so basically, you're talking about 1984, this would have been. In 1984, the main road job of a road manager was to guard the equipment from being stolen. That's the message I got. I didn't really get a lot of details about how, the, how you get paid or how you do a budget or how you, you know, what, what you, all the professional stuff. Just, I sleep in the van so the equipment doesn't get stolen. Okay, got it. So Mm -hmm. the tour starts out, the Chili Peppers album, you can look it up. I think it came out in right in the beginning of 84, right? And the first show was in Detroit. And so then me and Flea and Anthony were still living together and still all tight. And the three of us were going to have a road trip to Detroit, right? And so I'm up for that. Okay, let's have a road trip to Detroit. This is going to be fun. And then... Of course, they didn't go because <laughs> oh. they could fly there. Mm. And so like a couple of days before, it was just like, yeah, 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 we got to do something here. And so you're going to have to take the equipment to Detroit. And Lindy, the person who became the manager, said, you know, I'll give you like some money and you just drive the equipment there and get yourself a hotel and, and make sure the equipment doesn't get stolen. <laughs> Sleep in the van. So. So my feelings were hurt, Chuck. I remember my feelings being hurt that we were not mm. a team. We weren't a team, Chuck. It wasn't fleeing Anthony and Bobby. It was like Bobby's now going to drive the equipment to Detroit, right? Oh, you were Johnny yeah. and Sid, and they were it, Steve and Paul. Was that how it was? I wasn't in the band, though. That's what uh, probably a problem. So anyways, so I kind of pout and whatever. And then Lindy says, come out to his apartment, and he gives me an envelope. Chuck, an Uh-oh. envelope. This is where with it goes cash, <laughs> with cash money in it. Jesus. I immediately cheered up right away. It's like, <laughs> you know, but I'm not a thief, Chuck. I want you to know that I am not a thief. <laughs> but you, you were given need some dope up for the road. There are some expenses that go along with getting ready to go on the road. Yes, Let's face it's going to have to be some heroin. And there's going to well, there's going to have to be a binge, which is but back then it was like. Eighty dollars to go on a really good binge. So, so there's that eighty. 
And then, and then for some reason, I forget what I think it was with Eddie Munoz or somebody like that. And they, um, somebody was selling acid and I bought, I bought, and they were $5 a hit, I think. And I bought four of them for 20 bucks. That's a great idea. Isn't that a great idea? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so time comes. I'm really, I got my alarm clock. I'm getting up. I'm going to hit the road at 6 a.m. I got the equipment and everything's good. I'm going. I know where I'm going. And I take off out of LA, Chuck, like a bat out of hell, excited for the prospects of my future as a road <laughs> manager of a band I love. And I take a hit of acid, right. you know, because the sun's coming up. Yeah, you got him, man. I got a, <laughs> you I got a, I got a cassette player. It's, it's just going to be. And so I get out to about Palm Springs or Banning or Boma. I'm not feeling acid at all. Now, understand I've been shooting speedballs all night and day and, and then slept from like two in the morning to six in the morning. So I'm kind of on that downside of shooting speedballs. And I took the acid and it didn't do anything. It didn't bring me to that place that I wanted to be, Chuck. Do you know what so I'm what saying? Did you do? Oh. You took I took the other three. All three. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Good for you. That's now you're so tripping. Fucking perfect, man. Now <laughs> I'm just I'm crossing over by the Salton Sea, getting out in the desert. It's like 8 a.m. I'm feeling my arms and the hair on me, and I'm feeling my body, and I'm feeling I know I'm gonna fall in love soon. On this trip, I'm gonna <laughs> fall in love. <laughs> yes, you, you, with you a hippie did. girl. With a hippie girl that rides up on a motorcycle. You ever seen that movie where the girl rides up naked on a motorcycle? No. What movie is that? Sounds like a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. So, <laughs> so I'm tripping, and I'm also looking for my the, my soulmate, too. Like, So I keep pulling into little towns looking for a soulmate. Right? Okay. I'm, I'm, you know, because I have this idea, and then it hits me. Well, I'm standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. It's such a fine Ooh, sight to okay. see. There's a girl, girl, my lord, in a flatbed yeah. Ford slowing down to take a look at me. So I'm just singing right around the Arizona border, like coming up, coming up into uh, a Flagstaff. I'm feeling, I just feel magnificent, Chuck. I feel, I feel okay. powerful. I feel beautiful. I feel optimistic hope all the things and really high like frying high I like the, the road is, there's something coming here the road is dissolving <laughs> away but i'm still jamming along uh and i immediately think well i'm in arizona i should take my clothes off there is no reason to have clothes <laughs> at a time there like this there you go there is okay. Chuck. There is no reason to have clothes on. Can you imagine how encumbered you are in clothes when you're feeling like you're that? In a car. I'm in a yeah. car. I'm fine. It's like yeah. fucking. It's like ten thirty in the morning. Nothing's gonna happen. So I take my clothes <laughs> off. I'm driving. I'm drinking a lot of water, and uh, I'm not paying attention to how fast I'm going, Chuck. Now most oh, people, good. when they take acid, they go slow. But I'm trying to get to Winslow, Arizona, because I have this image or this idea. For the like, girl in the Ford, that, oh Lord. I, th I think Ricky Lee Jones is going to be there, who I was in love with at the time. Of course. I think Ricky Lee Jones is going to somehow be in Winslow. She's going to recognize my genius. I'll replace Tom Waits in her life, and everything will be beautiful.
because I because I was listening to that first R- Ricky Lee Jones record. So I'm on acid. I'm naked. I'm listening to Ricky Lee Jones, and I'm just trying to get to Winslow, Arizona, on I-40, Chuck. Yeah. Woo, 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 woo. Uh, Highway Patrol, Arizona State Troopers. Not good. This is never good. Wait, I just want to know too fast or too slow. What were you doing? Too fast, too fast. Really? I was going like a hunt. I, like, I was going like, I, well, I was going fast enough that they made me follow them into their town so I could appear in front of a judge. Uh-oh. This was after they noticed that you were naked? They, I did not give them that opportunity. I was not that pride. So I realized, like, holy shit, I'm naked, and Highway Patrol's pulling me over. Holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. So I put a shirt, I reached and got my shirt and covered myself. I didn't put it on. I just covered my front part of me. And then I got my boxer shorts for some reason and, got, and slid them up and got over to the side of the road. The guy walks up, give my driver's license. He asked me what I'm doing. I said, I'm a roads manager of a van coming out of LA. I got to get to Detroit. I'm sorry. I was going a little too fast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and he goes, a little too fast. Yeah, son, uh, son, you were going, uh, whatever it is, 25 miles over this uh, posted speed limit. Uh, and anything over 25 miles an hour up over the posted speed limit, you have to appear in front of the judge. And I'm like, I certainly will do that. Uh, uh, just give me a ticket and I will come up here. And they're like, no, 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 you need to follow us into town. Uh, and so no. now I'm on acid. I'm following cops. Now what goes through an acid fried brain as the cops are ahead of you and you're thinking bad things could happen, Chuck. So I start letting them go. I'm going like 45. They're going like 65. <laughs> okay. I'm letting a lot of space get in between well, us. Aren't you clever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Apparently, uh, they had seen this maneuver before. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So what they do is they just stop in the lane, Right. And then you catch up to them, and then they, you know they're they're like signaling to you, like, "Hey, you got a little lost from us." They're being polite. They know you're trying to like get some traffic in between, but there's no traffic. This is in bumfuck. This is between Kingman, Arizona, and Winslow, Arizona, on I-40. There's like a buffalo crater exhibit. That's it. That's out there. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing out there. So. So I, you know, I follow him into town. It was cool. And I had Lindy's credit card and I paid the fine with the credit card. I saw the judge all out of my mind on acid, right? They didn't even notice. That's never going to happen again, Chuck. Just hmm. like, just like Top Jimmy and the Stamps. You're never going to be frying on acid. You got green. I had green dreadlocks. I was naked and I'm. And, and somehow I just got out of it. And I can tell you that Mike Mark got out of a thousand things like that. A thousand. Because sometimes oh. I would be in the car, Chuck, rooting mm-hmm. for him to get arrested. I, I'm not, oh, yeah. not rooting for him. <laughs> but, like, but thinking like, Mike can oh, use no, a break. No. He can use a break right now. He can use an adult timeout. Right? <laughs> Keith Morris, same thing. How Keith Morris is alive. I mean, we forget because he got sober so early. Like, he got sober in, like, what, 87, 88? He was so insane. He, he, he not, you know, like most people got a crazy story about someone. Keys are the crazy story over and over again. 
like most people you say, oh, he jumped out of a, a I was driving down the road like 40 miles an hour. He jumped out of the car. Keith did that with John Doe driving me in the backseat. He did that with me driving my car. He just jumps out. He gets all mad at you. He's like blackout drunk and coked out and he's hitting you and, and just insane. And he says, fuck this. And he just jumps out of a moving car. Not once, not twice, over and over again. He did it to his girlfriend, mm. Alex. He did it to Gary Herstis. He like, I guess he liked jumping out of moving car. <laughs> it was, that sounds like that's his uh, MO. So Mike, Mike, Mike had those kind of tendencies. And so sometimes I'd be thinking, yeah, this is not, I don't have any warrants out, so I'm cool. And, you know, Mike needs an adult timeout, right? Mike was the only person I knew that had served real jail time, jail time too. Uh, yeah. wow. <laughs> well, that's when, that's before that old, uh, that's when everybody went to Twin Towers before that new jail was built. It was way, way back in the day. Yeah. And, but I'm talking about Chuck. Uh, Mike's got a gun on him. He's high out of his mind. He has warrants for his arrest and no driver's license. And he's got his shirt, only one thing buttoned. And he's, and he made it and he went through, he made an illegal U-turn. And then it's like, yeah, whatever. Move along, move along, <laughs> move along. There was one time, um, that Pleasant and I and rock, you know, uh, rock vodka and uh, I was in that the car you chase. Were in that, right? Yeah, I was. And in then that. so Rock had the bright idea. Mike to... Mark didn't get arrested at that. You didn't get arrested at that. None of us did. I think Rock got arrested or something. Did Maybe. you get? Did you have a gun on you at the time? No, but we all. I had a knife. I always had a knife. <laughs> yeah, but um, but because uh, how about how many? You can well, get out of a lot of situations. Yeah. You can get out of a lot of situations by pulling a knife out of your boot. People fucking don't. They go, "Whoa, okay, see ya." Well, so, yeah. let me let me tell you this. So, Chuck, do you think there's a time right now where you're in a car chase with police, and the other four people just walk away and they just arrest the driver, and one of the guys has a knife and they just go, oh, "Okay, move along, <laughs> get on your way." That was Mike Mart's love. That was the 80s, man. It was great. Hollywood was like... Uh, like <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe they were busy trying man. to get follow-up on 187s and shit. But, you know, maybe they had... I mean, I know when I lived in Long Beach, it was like that in like 80, 85, 86. They didn't care In a about, car chase? They didn't no, care about didn't, the other no. people in the car? No, I had a 40-horsepower bug. The, we didn't finish that story to... to 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 tell Chuck was uh, that we all that what was it on Highland that supermarket there the something yeah brother? it's now a it's now a expensive wine mart it's now an ex it used to be this sleazy market and now it's an expensive wine mart a sushi restaurant they and got a on subway. the megaphones they said get out of the car they had their guns on us we had laid out they look we look like some crazy fucking you know chain gang. just like you see on tv and then at the end chuck they just said okay you can go you're on your way you're with mike mart <laughs> well you're with mike mart you're on your way move along you know i think rocks made some crazy excuse he always rock came up with these great excuses man like one time he uh he uh got drunk and he crashed into a bus bench, you know, and just totaled the bus bench. Right. And, uh, and then they got his license plate and they arrested him later on that night. And he went to court and he told the judge that he zipped up his ball sack in his zipper <laughs> <laughs> and he lost control of his car. 
And he hid at the bus bench, and he wanted to get to the hospital, and uh, <laughs> the zipper removed. <laughs> and the judge, go, the judge looked at him and goes, "Well, that's a good one." Then he just said, dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm hoping that this '80s idea we have, but it was a magical time where you could buy you could buy a drink at a bar with stamps. You could. You could be in a car chase with like a bunch of cops chasing you and just walk to your house right afterwards. It was just a magical time. It was a magical time. It was a time when, when musicians that were really excellent songwriters were teaching songwriters that weren't that good how to write songs. It was a time when you could go see Lone Justice and Dream Syndicate and Tex and the Horseheads and the Chili Peppers and then later on Thelonious Monster and Green on Red and Los Lobos and X and Top Jimmy. These are all completely different sounding bands, Chuck. Yeah. And it was all one scene. And it was all one scene. Like we all just supported each other. We all played with each other. You know, the Chili Peppers were so great and did such insane shows back then with just, yeah, I don't know, you know, in small clubs. And um, same with like Johanna Went. And Johanna uh, Went, I, I was talked about too. Johanna and, Went. Uh, and and Fishbone. I mean, they just did such insane shows. You know, we all had our own little kind of shtick, you know, that we all just supported. It was all different, it, it, but it was, was all the same. And so, but it really was all different music, and it played at the same club on the same bills on the same night sometimes. You know, if you I, I'm, I'm I'm trying to get like the old lingerie ads. There's not really that many cafe ads because nobody really knew if the bands that were going to play the cafe were going to show up. Right. <laughs> so you might, yeah. it might say social distortion is playing on Friday, but you never can tell what, if they're going to be there or not. There was a time where social distortion was so unreliable. Do you remember Mike? Like, yes. but not Mike Ness would always show up, but then he had always, you know, I don't know what the problems were with the band, but they would never show up because he wouldn't pay them or I don't know what the deal was. But he would try. I I was at the cafe one night when Social Distortion was there and Dennis and he were there, but the drummer and bass player weren't. And he was going around trying to find a drummer and bass player to, to do the show. <laughs> so, Chuck they, Berry? So, <laughs> so that they could play, so that they could... So they could make their 500 bucks. <laughs> so Tex and the Horses so Horse played with Social Distortion at Fender's Ballroom, right? And I show up and I immediately go to Mike uh, Ness and I say, hey, I, I don't have my amp. I pawned my amp. And he goes, oh, well, I pawned my guitar. Can I use your guitar? You can use my amp. <laughs> <clears throat> there you go. That's how we did it. Right. Well, and then there's, I think and I've worked, told, right? But I've told the greatest, I've told the greatest, uh, now, also about Mike Mart, you got to understand, he, Rob Graves and Bob Forrest were in this band, Chuck. Rob Graves and Bob Forrest were in a band, and they were the ones caretaking Mike Mart. Are you? Are you consciously understanding this? What shape Mike Mart was in? So we're supposed to play Bogarts, and Bogarts was a really good place for us to make some money because L.A. clubs didn't care if you played Bogarts. They cared if you played Fenders. Cause it was advertising the LA weekly, but Bogarts was more of like, I don't know where they advertised it, but so for only used to play Bogarts all the time. Cause we could pick up money that, and it wouldn't affect LA. Right. But if you played, if you played a golden boy show at Fenders, then the lingerie with Brendan would say, you just fucking played 
fucking fenders two weeks ago. What are you talking about? You're not fucking playing here for two months. And I'd be like, yeah, fenders is in Long Beach. Yeah. How does that? But somehow they didn't care about Bogart. So we played Bogarts a lot. So we're rehearsing and Mike doesn't show up for the rehearsal. So then Rob says, I talked to Mike and he pawned his amp. So we're going to need to get his amp out of pawn. And I said, Mike, Mike needs to get his amp out of pawn. It's not our responsibility. And he's like, well, you know, he's not going to. So if you want to play this gig tomorrow night on Friday, you, you know, you, we got to get his amp out. And so I don't know how we came up with the money. I think my girlfriend at the time had like 40 bucks and Pete probably had 20 bucks or Chris Hansen had 20 bucks. And so we, Rob went to the pawn shop, Elliot Salter on Santa Monica Boulevard. Yeah, got got, got Mike's Marshall 100 watt Marshall head out with Mike, Mike and and drove it in the monster van down to Long Beach and set it up and we sound checked and the next thing you know you go eat I I you know I usually went like into Long Beach to go record shopping or get the fuck away from that Bogart's mini mall place. I go into Long Beach and you come back like at 11 or something. We're playing at 12. Come back and Rob's like, he somehow he pawned his amp again. Yep. <laughs> yep. See, it's, it's funny now, but you know, you really did create a lot <laughs> no, of like, it, animosities it, it, and stuff. <laughs> like Pete is probably still mad at me about some things, you know. <laughs> but that was legendary. Like usually people have some shame if if the band has to like borrow forty dollars from the singer's girlfriend to get your, pawn, <laughs> your fucking amp out of pawn. But Mike now Mike, he just like sound checks over. I don't how, do you remember doing that, Mike? You had to have done And that. I was gonna tell Chuck now my rationale was that there was dicks. Chris and me, there were three guitar players. And so I showed up with a borrowed an acoustic guitar and I said, well, I'm going to play acoustic guitar because there's two other guitar players. They'll play good fine. point. It'll be fine. But where, was your, but where was your amp? For one thing, it was like six o'clock. How did you go pawn it? It was at Island in Long Beach. It was at the dope dealer's house. <laughs> <laughs> what a duck. Oh my <laughs> God. You know, though, it, it, Going go way back to the beginning of this, when you're talking about how Mike Mark could hold a captive audience or keep an eye at audience in trance. No, yeah, yeah. But one of my favorite things that I loved was when he did the Insolvent Songwriters Club and he'd invite some people over to Vinyl Solution. And this was just a few years ago, right? And yeah. it, the other people would do their thing. But when Mike did his, everybody hung out and watched. And it was just an acoustic guitar in his voice. And the storytelling and the music was so good. I was so bummed when that ended. Just and I, I you know, you could see him do the same, the same songs. You know, uh, a the week later, and it was still good. So, I, I respect. I, I got nothing but respect for what what Mike oh, does that way. Thank you, Chuck. Thank well, you. Very much. Oh, okay. Oh, you I'm say learning. thank you to him. <laughs> like fuck you to me. Yeah. Well, but I want you true. to think I need to go to psychotherapy or something. No, no, I don't think you need to go that. I, I think you need uh, some sort of religion. I think you need religion. Mike. No, I don't. Like, it, it would help you. So anyways, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm cool with the fact that I'm not, I'm not what I used to be. I think, I think you have to kind of accept that. Like mm -hmm. songwriting is not that important to me. It's like, if, if, if I have a list of the 10 most important things to me, like songwriting is like, 
or ninth, right? And so, so I can't expect that I can write songs like Anymore or My Boy or the Serial Song. I just can't expect that. that. Now, when I wanted to, and I and the Thelonious Monster just made that record a couple of years ago. I I like became I disciplined myself to become as good as I could be. I still wasn't as good as I used to be, and it used to come natural because you're consumed by songwriting. Everything you experience, you're thinking about songs and you're thinking about lines that people say, and you're thinking like, I need a chorus for this song. Like my life was consumed with songwriting from like 1986 to 1993 probably and then again in 1996 to 1999 well, let me say something here okay let me just interrupt you and say that that album is great your lyrics are great the songs are great here's what my take on it is is that it was done with a different process the way Thelonious Monster used to back in the day was get in a room a garage, whatever, we all did, you, you just wrote songs and you felt it, and that's the way that happened. And this was just a different process because everybody. But I'm not the same person. I'm not the same person that's going to write those oh, I types see. of sure. songs. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? I just think that, that, and I, and I, and I don't know. I, I just a song think, about Disneyland passes or something, right? No, I, you know what? I did play <laughs> Sid on the way there. She loved it yesterday. Disneyland, I love Disneyland. Oh, it's the where Disney. I want to be. No, it was the eyes with Charlotte Caffey was the guitar player. Oh, the right. eyes. The song Disneyland. It was on Yes LA with the Germs. It was uh, like, remember the album Yes yeah. LA, and it only played on one side of the vinyl. Chuck, that How was about one that? of the greatest <laughs> albums ever. Why didn't I remember that? Um, yeah. It's you know, called Disneyland. There's a lot more that defines you these days other than needing to impress or to come up with the next great song, though. You have a lot more achievements. I think when we're younger, we're so focused on a single goal. And it's so important that, you know, when we have kids and when we have important relationships and when we have careers and things, it, 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 it can't remain as important unless your job is making music. And, and that, you know what? That reminds me. Um, uh, Amy the other day goes, you got to listen to this. And she plays playing me this podcast. That's this Toby Morris guy from, he's been doing hardcore music for a long time and he's interviewing noodles. And she plays me this part where noodles is, is talking all sorts of good shit about the don't die podcast. And I'm like, Oh, wow. man, right. When you think the guy can't get any nicer, you know, <laughs> so I'm, you know, it's just like, again, it's just like one of those things where it's just, uh, but that's the only I thought of that because that's a guy that's still making money doing it. But so let's end it with that because there's a lot of people that these people at Disney uh, Avengers World they were talking about the podcast. Like usually at Disneyland, somebody comes up to me. It's about celebrity rehab and Doctor Drew. So once in a while, it's about Thelonious Monster, but or Chili Peppers. But mostly it's celebrity rehab. And these people, this the the woman said. We love your podcast. Oh, that's great. And I was like, oh my God. And and we and I, I wanted to talk about music, even though Anthony and I are working on this project, and I just read this whole article that, that, that about the that we asked for. Um, but they she said, I love when you talk about the old punk rock days. And so this is for that couple at Disneyland. I hope it was fun for you. 
All right, um, let's sign up. That was awesome, Bob. That's real cool. Did All you right. tell her how hard it is for Mike Mart to get us to do it? Oh, yeah, or or, <laughs> or Mike Mart. But, but, uh, I, I this didn't shit only get happens into. because of Mike Mart. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it, but I don't know why this podcast is so important to so many people. I don't get it. I don't. Well, I don't listen to it, so maybe I should. Li- if I listen to it, I would like it. But I, I don't want to hear myself talk about shit I already know. But um. But it really does mean a lot to Wiley and, and Smithy and, and, and now this guy, Patrick, I work with, listens to it. And Mar- Mark Cates, this other, Mark Cates listened to this, to this podcast, Mike. Wow. Like, and, and like, it's so weird. Like, yeah, what is it, it about is this weird. podcast? It, a guy I know from meetings, his name's Colin. He was just like, hey, that's, that's great. And he, he's another one that told me, he goes, dude, do you know noodles? Because he was on this other podcast talking about you guys and how, how cool it is and and it was talking but about i don't want to think i don't want to jinx it i don't want to think about it i just always think like i just always think mike's mike's gonna bug me on monday can we do a pod I'm like ah we already tuesday. did one on tuesday i'm a little bit i'm a little relentless i know i'm sorry you are relentless but we used to do two in one night and that made it so we only had that's too much though it, but we only had to get together there. once every two weeks. I liked that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should go uh, twice a month. <laughs> we really should do twice a month. That's what we used to do twice a month, Chuck, when you guys used to come here to my house. Well, that's because it was $40 in gas. Yeah, it'd be 80. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, I filled up the, my the SUV we have. Hundred eighteen dollars. Yeah, I was like, insane. "Come again? Don't they? Sell it. Aren't they going to have to put another number on the gas pumps?" When yeah. it, it, you should do. You should go yes. fill up the RV just for the hell of it. <laughs> oh, we we took the RV. We went out in the RV this weekend. Oh my! God. That thing fucking rattles around. Jesus How much Christ! Did it cost to put gas in it? That was that, that, that for some reason I had put a lot of gas in it before all this uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. That's the last time we drove it. All right. Yet. Well, good night, everybody. We'll good have an night. RV talk have a next, week. next week. Okay. We'll see you all guys. Right. Bye. 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 Thank you, guys. Yeah. Go Dodgers. Yeah.